All right, today we spoke with Sarah Zach, who is a pollution prevention extension specialist. This was a good, this was really neat uh, because she gave us things we do. We talk about pollution prevention, but she gave us uh, tangible things we could do instead of like, like we said in it, taking the weight of the world on our shoulders. What are some things we do to make a small difference? Microplastics talked about them, talked about the fibers. Was that, what was that? The fiber, plastic fibers? Plastic fibers. We had no idea. We'd not heard of these. We'd heard of microplastics, but had no idea that these fibers are everywhere. And so that was a really good conversation. We even talked about pharmaceuticals in the, in the water some, and uh, she kind of explained some things about that to us. It was a good conversation. It was uh, really good being able to talk about the environment and what we can do to, and, and how that's a problem. Welcome to Superheroes of Science. I'm Stephen. And I'm Sarah. We co-host Science from the Experts. Our guests are professionals doing cutting-edge science right now. They're experts in their field discussing what they know best. So listen up and learn real science from real people. Subscribe now and stay informed of our latest episodes and show your support. Joining us today for Superheroes of Science, we're so pleased to welcome Sarah Zach. Sarah joins us as a Pollution Prevention Extension Specialist. So welcome to the show, and we are so excited to get started. Thanks. Thanks for having me. I'm excited to be here. Now, where are you an Extension Specialist from? So I'm with the University of Illinois um, at Urbana-Champaign, but I have a sort of strange uh, dual appointment. So I'm affiliated with Purdue as well through the Illinois-Indiana Sea Grant Program. Okay, perfect, perfect. And uh, what's, uh, I guess, I, before we go into kind of talking about the microplastic side of things, which is something that we definitely wanted to talk about today, I know it's in the curriculum of a lot of schools and oh, it's, in, it's in the news. Um, well, it's buried in the news these days. But it seems like it's not as in the forefront as it seems like everything I see is COVID right now. Yeah. And uh, we're going through the alphabet. But uh, so what does a, um, what was it? Um, pollution, no, yeah, pollution, pollution prevention a person do what do you do what do I do um, that's a great question so um, it's my job to kind of educate um, the public I guess about pollution issues and and being affiliated with the University of Illinois Extension that means that it's kind of my job to take the research that's coming out of our universities and make it usable and kind of translate it and, and make it palatable for public consumption. So, you know, a lot of the research is very complicated and complex, and I try to kind of distill that down to what people really need to know about what's happening. And of course, this is all sort of related to, um, to pollution topics. So my program really focuses on microplastics and marine debris, um, unwanted pharmaceuticals through our uh, unwanted meds program. And then we also um, work with the Great Lakes National Program Office um, of the US EPA to kind of um, look at the emerging contaminants research that they're doing and, and see you know, how it can be helpful to people. Sarah's probably gonna yell at me later, but I'm gonna get off on a tangent now. And, sure. Uh, but I'll blame you. Um, so Let's do it. Because <laughs> you, you said that something about the unwanted pharmaceuticals. Yeah. I know I was at... Um, at a store there locally pharmacy and I saw a thing where you could drop off pharmaceuticals and stuff um but I remember growing up so I'd like to talk about this just a little bit because I remember growing up they're like oh if you don't use it flush it yeah and yeah. Uh, I don't know if I'm showing my age at that point if that's something not that we haven't said for quite a while 
but apparently that's something we don't want to do today. Could you explain what sure. we should do, why we don't want to do that and all that? Sure. I don't think you're showing your age too much. I think it wasn't that long ago that we were to telling people to flush this stuff because that was the quickest and the safest way to get it out of your house. You know, poisonings were, um, you know, the primary focus, I guess, of that, those disposal instructions. And so it wasn't that long ago, but we know now that there's been a lot of research that's come out over the past 10 or 15 years that have shown that these pharmaceuticals end up in our waters. Um, wastewater treatment plants aren't designed, weren't designed to remove pharmaceuticals. Uh, it's not the fault of a, of a wastewater treatment plant or anything like that. They're simply, um, in, many, in many cases, not capable of removing pharmaceuticals from water. So they're in our, um, our drinking water, our rivers, our lakes at, at very low concentrations. And so to kind of prevent that and um, kind of rectify that for the future, um, Disposal program have been started with, with many communities, pharmacies, law enforcement. I know West Lafayette has a great program um, through their police department that we helped, um, you know, we kind of provided some assistance. We, as in Illinois Indiana Sea Grant, not me personally, because it predates me actually in this position. It's been a it's been a really, really successful program for a really long time. Um, but yeah, these these disposal programs exist now. And the the best, I guess the easiest um, solution has now been to incinerate these pharmaceuticals oh. at EPA regulated facilities. Like for example, the West Lafayette Police Department uses a program in Indianapolis where they um, burn the waste in a hazardous waste facility that's EPA regulated and it's used to generate electricity. So it kind of takes this waste product and it turns it into power, which is amazing. Oh, wow. Yeah, it's really cool. I did not. I didn't know that was the the method of yeah. It's those products, it's, so. it's generally because the EPA regulates the um, you know the emissions from those, and they have you know just like a power plant, you know they have scrubbers and everything that takes the harmful chemicals out of the the emissions. You know that's generally considered the safest you know way to do it. And so um, actually, we just had a take back day in late October. The the um, Drug Enforcement Administration sponsors Take Back Day nationwide, working with, again, pharmacies, police departments, you know, community members to, you know, get these drugs out of the, the environment and, and incinerated and disposed of properly. Now, do we know what kind of impact um, it's already had? Or yeah, most of the research has been on like aquatic animals. And you, you may, it, it may be obvious to some, I guess, but because they live in water 24 seven, you know, they're seeing these impacts at a much greater rate. You know, there aren't any demonstrated hu human impacts, like from drinking water, you would have to drink, I mean, like swimming pools full of water to even get like a Tylenol. <laughs> so if you've got a headache, you know, drinking a bunch of water is not going to do very much good. Um, but things like, like um, antidepressants, birth control, um, you know, some painkillers and things like that have shown some really detrimental impacts to aquatic animals. You know, frogs are changing sex, you know, because of estrogens and things like that. And um, different aquatic animals aren't feeding as quickly as they should because they have um, things like um, Prozac in their system, you know, the same kind of effects that these things, therapeutic yeah. effects that these things have on us, they're seeing those same similar effects in, in the aquatic 
organisms. And then is there potential at some point for if I'm thinking if a, if a bunch of fish ended up being uh, having contamination within them, would that be a, at a level that then we would need to worry about if we consume that? Yeah, or that's a good question. Is it it kind of like maybe we're hoping not. We want to prevent it type of thing. Yeah. I think it's that kind of a thing. You know, I don't think I've seen any research that's come out that has shown that pharmaceuticals are sort of um, going to cause those kind of effects to us. I don't know that we could consume enough seafood, let's say. Mm -hmm. um, but I, but who knows? You know, the short life of this research, I think, um, gives us a lot of unanswered questions. You know, we don't know what the, what the effects are going to be 50, 60 years from now. Mm -hmm. yeah. um, and so, you know, these these long lived animals, you know, like a lake sturgeon that's in the lake for 50, 60 years. And, um, you know, is it accumulating these things and just accumulating them and accumulating them? You know, is that a, um, a concern? You know, I don't know if we really have the answer to those questions yet, but I think they're important questions that need to be answered over time. So pharmaceuticals is definitely a pollutant, obviously that, that we can prevent. We can easily yes. prevent because it's yeah. now it's we see the take back days. And like I said I was at the pharmacy like a week or so two ago, and I saw the container right there. You just drop yep. it right in there. Cool. And, yeah, it's uh, a they're great programs. And I should say too that you know a lot of these issues aren't going to go away if we start disposing of our unwanted medications because a lot of the medicine that's in our water is also from excretion. You know the percentage oh. that's from what's thrown in the trash or thrown or flushed on the toilet is fairly small. So, um, so I think even if we stopped hundred percent stopped, um, throwing medicines away, we, we still have these questions that we need to answer too. I think that's important to, to keep in mind that it's not just people throwing away their medicine that are sort of creating a problem, that this is a problem that exists anyway, and mm -hmm. we can, um, stop contributing to it, but we still need to figure out solutions about what we do about it. There you go. I always like the action item, what I can mm -hmm. do. One thing yeah, absolutely. Is stop, uh, make sure I'm not discarding it. Yep. But, oh, Sarah? Uh, yeah, no, yeah, I thought this might be a good time to uh, bring it back though to microplastics. That's what I was gonna say. Is, that's one type of pollutant, but another type. Yeah deal with is the microplastics and uh, you might have to explain that just a little bit of background what is a microplastic and why do I care so um, they're more self-explanatory than you might think a microplastic is a small piece of plastic that's it at its base form it is a literally a microplastic a tiny little plastic but, but the reason that we're concerned about them is that we're finding microplastics in places where we shouldn't be finding microplastics. We're seeing these tiny little pieces of plastic in, um, you know, in our waters, you know, very similar to sort of pharmaceutical compounds, right? These are things that we are finding in the environment that aren't supposed to be there and are causing, you know, some, some maybe some negative effects that we can see and, and maybe a lot of unknown negative effects as well. But really they're, at their core, they're just tiny little pieces of plastic that can either come from, um, you know, larger pieces of plastic, kind of broken off from larger pieces of plastic, or can just be, you know, made as small pieces of plastic. Okay. Well, let, let's, before we go into the, the consequences of it being there, can we start with how's it getting there? Yeah, sure. So the um, microplastics are kind of, I think, unique in that it is an incredibly diverse group 
um, with a lot of different sources and you can point to a lot of different places where, where these things are coming from, you know, unlike pharmaceuticals that are, you know, we know how exactly how these things are getting in there, right? They're pretty, it's pretty straightforward. But microplastics have a really wide variety of ways that they can get into um, into the water. And, and I'll just sort of focus on the water because that's, you know, my area of expertise. Um, so, so as I said, they can be small pieces of larger plastics. So, you know, if you see a water bottle on the ground, over time, that water bottle is going to kind of break into pieces. Um, you know, it might get bashed up against rocks, it might be out in the sun, um, wind, you know, all sorts of different things, weathering, what we call weathering, you know, breaks the larger pieces of plastic down into smaller pieces of plastic. And so we see little fragments um, and we see uh, what we would call um, like a, well, a, a fiber or a line. So pieces of, um, you know, long sort of uh, skinny pieces of plastic that are broken that come out of other things. Mm -hmm. um, we see pellets, um, which are either, I guess they can be, um, you know, made to be sort of, I guess, used in the way that they're created. So like a face wash, you know, that has those scrubbers that we used to see on shelves, right? We don't see them on shelves anymore, but they're still out in the environment. And then there's these things, and this is my absolute favorite thing to talk about when I talk about microplastics. Um, they're called nurdles or pellets, but nurdles is a lot more fun to say. And these are the, the round plastic beads that are used to make molded plastics. So if you've ever gone to a zoo and you've seen like the moldorama machines where you pick an animal and then it makes that animal for you. A lot of people have seen them, a lot of people haven't. Um, when I give talks about this, I put pictures up and they go, oh, that thing. Because I think when you see it, they're very like old time. Maybe I'm showing my age by talking about them, but they're very kind of old timey. But but anything that's a molded plastic, right? My, my unfortunately, oh, it's just blending into my background. My plastic cup here, right? This is made, this is a molded plastic. And so originally they were small beads and they get transported on cargo ships, they get transported over land. And as you would expect a tiny bead of plastic, um, you know, they escape and they get out into the environment. Mm -hmm. um, so, so things like that. So they can come from a really, really wide variety of sources, but they end up in our water in a lot of, um, in a lot of cases. Okay. So uh, how can we prevent that? Yeah, and that's where I think the, um, it's funny when you said that earlier that you like to hear sort of those tangible things you can do. And yes. microplastics is one of those problems that when I talk about it, sometimes feels bigger than any one person. But there are so many different ways that people can prevent microplastics from getting into the environment that even if you're just doing one of them, you're helping the problem, which I think is really wonderful. There's a huge variety of ways that people from all walks of life and at all levels can kind of help with this problem. So one of the biggest sources of microplastics is fibers that come from your clothes. Oh. Um, all of our clothes, most of our clothes um, are not 100% cotton or wool or natural fibers. Um, you know, they all have some percentage of polyester in, in a lot of cases in them. And, and that's a fiber, uh, a plastic fiber, essentially. And when we wash our clothes, when we agitate our clothes, when they rub against one another, those fibers are shed and they end up in our wastewater. And then they go to reason, the polyester suits from the 70s should not have happened. Banned, banned. Although, you know, it is so hard to find 
clothes even still made of, of 100% natural fiber. And in many cases, they're way more expensive mm-hmm. and, and, you know, harder to source. Um, so we're still seeing a lot of those polyester suits. They just don't look quite the same anymore. Um, but those end up in the wastewater and then they go to the treatment plant. And just like pharmaceuticals, wastewater treatment plants weren't designed to remove microplastics. These, these fibers are so small and they do remove a huge percentage. I, I mean, I think they can remove 80, 90% of them, but we're talking about thousands and thousands of fibers with every load of laundry. So even a small percentage of those for everybody's laundry is a lot of fibers, you know, cumulatively. Mm-hmm. So um, I think the, the microfibers are, I think most scientists would agree that microfibers are sort of um, the biggest concern right now because they're the most prolific type of microplastic. And so to to cut down on those, um, you know, you can take kind of simple steps, right? Things like um, fleece, um, which, you know, we're in the Midwest, we wear a lot of fleece, right? We have a lot of cool weather, not cold weather, you know, in the spring and the fall. And so fleece is really popular. So not washing your fleece as often or washing it in um, even a pillowcase or um, they do make washing bags that you can buy um, to kind of trap those fibers and kind of prevent that agitation. Um, you know, but spot cleaning it whenever possible rather than throwing it in the washing machine um, can cut down on fibers you know, immensely. There are also, um, uh, the word just went right out of my head, uh, like lint traps essentially for um, filters is the word I was looking for filters for washing machines just sort of like your lint trap and your dryer that will catch those fibers before they head to the wastewater treatment plant and and they're really neat I I would really like to get one for my home um, as well and I do have some colleagues who have gotten them and you know they just kind of clean them out you know every couple of weeks and it's handfuls of, of wet fibers, essentially, and then those go in the garbage. Um, but, you know, those can be a little bit costly. You know, they run around $100. You need to have someone who either has the technical knowledge or can afford to hire someone with the technical knowledge to install them. So, you know, not necessarily feasible for a wide, wide variety of people. You also have to have your own washer and dryer to be able to do that as well, right? I mean, a huge percentage of people go to laundromats and have shared laundry units. So... Um, so that's not really feasible for, for a lot of people. Um, but, you know, any sort of steps towards these types of things, you know, wearing more cotton and less non-natural fibers, you know, my, I, we've been replacing rugs in our house. We, um, and, you know, rather than looking just for a rug that I think is pretty, I'm trying to look for wool rugs rather than polypropylene rugs, because I know those wool fibers are natural and the polypropylene fibers aren't, but, you know, it's, it's, it's not, simple. So there's other things you can do too. Simple switching, simply switching to, um, you know, reusables, even if it's one type of reusable, even if it's one Tupperware container or, or a glass reusable container instead of a takeaway container, even if it's using, uh, you know, silverware from home rather than plastic silverware or a reusable water bottle rather than buying water. You know, all those things help because large plastics turn into microplastics. And so if you can stop using those large plastics, those, those, those um, single use plastics, we call them, um, in any capacity, then you're also contributing to helping to um, reduce 
potential microplastics, future microplastics, right? Is that why a lot of places got rid of the uh, plastic straws? I think so. Yeah. I mean that it's, so um, we use the term marine debris. I think it's pretty loose. Um, Cause you know, in the Midwest, we don't have marine, right. It's, it's aquatic debris, right. But marine debris is kind of the global okay. phrase that gets used and straws are a large percentage of, of marine debris. You see a ton of straws washed up on beaches and on shorelines. There's a very iconic photograph of um, a turtle with a straw up its nose. I think it was someone in Texas, like around um, maybe in like the Galveston area that that found this this turtle and it kind of um, went viral. Um, there's also a turtle with a six pack ring around it too. Yeah. Sort of a similar thing, right? Have you seen that? I think that turtle was from Missouri that kind of grew with the six pack ring around its midsection. Very similar, right? Those images speak to people and kind of, um, spurred on some of this legislation that, you know, that got municipalities to adopt, you know, paper straws or, or ban or make it, make it so that straws aren't automatic. You have to ask for them. And, and mm -hmm. sort of, we saw that reduction. Okay. Yeah. So yeah, it's all kind of a part of the same issue. And, it, and that's what you don't think of. A lot of times you think of, oh, it's just an inconvenience to me, 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 me. And yeah. uh, we don't think about it. It's, it, it's a bigger picture thing. Right. So it's it, one little piece, but if everybody does it, then it becomes right. an issue, right? You, 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 it's short-sighted, I guess. Well, I'm, I'm interested. So definitely, yeah, I think um, this marine, this idea of marine debris and reducing and finding ways to cut back on things like, like you were saying, washing your clothes and, and reducing those fibers or um, using anything reusable, anything more than cutting down on those single use. But internally what or or external maybe it's externally too what are some of the risks then of, of being exposed to these microplastics yeah and that's I think where a lot of the questions are so that's I think that's a timely question and you know we with microplastics in general I think kind of the cart got put before the horse a little bit we found out well, we didn't find out but we kind of learned more about the scope of these things and everybody went, this can't be good, let's ban stuff. <laughs> and so, you know, that's when we saw um, microbeads got banned, you know, very early on in the discovery of microplastics in, and it was in the Great Lakes, I believe first. Um, I think the, the timeline kind of goes that we found uh, microplastics in the Great Lakes, great, some Great Lakes states uh, moved to ban them and then the federal government said, don't bother, we'll just go ahead and do this nationwide. But we didn't really know anything yet about the harm that they could cause. And we still don't know a lot about the harm that they could cause. Cause you know, and I keep, I know I'm kind of a broken record saying this, but similar to pharmaceuticals, right? A lot of these things could be long-term and we just don't have the, the length of the body of research yet. And the, we haven't had the time yet. Um, to, to figure it out. But we do know some things. We know that a lot of these microplastics can adsorb other pollutants, right? Plastic in general can move pollutants around. And we know that organisms eat microplastics. You know, many, many studies have been done that have found these plastics in the guts of, of aquatic organisms. And so if they're moving pollutants in, and they're eating them, then, then a couple different things are happening. One, it's taking up space in their stomach that should be food. So mm -hmm. we have seen negative impacts um, from something that simple that 
they're eating plastic instead of food and it's non-nutritive and they're not getting the nutrition that they need. And so, you know, essentially kind of starving them. And then we're also seeing that they're moving pollutants, um, you know, around in ways that we weren't expecting and into organisms as well. Um, Illinois Indiana Sea Grant, um, some of the folks um, at Purdue for Illinois Indiana Sea Grant, um, our director, Thomas Hook, our research coordinator, Carolyn Foley, um, and some other folks did a, a study looking at the, all the studies that had been done about microplastics to try to answer some of these, these questions about whether their negative impacts are really something we need to worry about. And, and they found that, you know, where in a lot of cases there weren't huge negative impacts in, in certain smaller organisms, you know, these are having impacts on their survival, their reproduction, you know, and things like that, that can really resonate um, up a food chain and impact an entire ecosystem. And that, that's what I wonder, and that's what I'm kind of afraid of there is that I would yeah. be afraid of is, okay, if now we're starting to, the smaller organisms we're starting to impact, then let's keep going up that food chain until yep. maybe it's not impacting me physically yet, but it's sure going to, if it builds up, it, it would make yeah. sense. Well, and not just that too. And I think one of the, the biggest things that, um, I guess one of the things that I'm concerned about is more economic in nature. If you look at the Great Lakes and the fishery in the Great Lakes and the economies that are built yeah. on fishing in the Great Lakes and the tourism and the recreation. I mean, look at the, you know, the Indiana National Lakeshore and, you know, the national park that we now have, you know, that's all dependent on a healthy Lake Michigan. And so if that food web starts to change, um, you know, that could have real you know, detrimental impacts that kind of resonate, um, not just to, you know, um, sort of pollution issues or contaminant issues in, in us or in, in fish that we eat, but, you know, to people's livelihoods as well. Yeah. It, that's something that we've been talking recently about is how uh, it, all these things are so interconnected. Yeah. We think of one variable, but there's so much it can impact and snowball through. Absolutely. Impact. But I love the fact that you're giving us things, uh, possibilities to avoid those. You know, it's it's look for it. I would not have thought of, would not have thought at all, uh, looking, making sure that if I'm if I'm purchasing new clothes, you know, try try to go towards a natural product like, yeah. so that'd be like what a cotton or a wool basically then yeah or i know you can buy a lot more things with hemp now too hemp as well okay, okay. Mm -hmm. you know and you know i think one of the things that's important to keep in mind with when you're trying to avoid avoid um you know sort of consuming plastic and as a in general is the um sort of environmental justice aspects of it too because we for a long time, I talked with people about these things. They're just like, oh, just buy cotton. Oh, just buy a rubble water bottle. Oh, just, you know, just buy this, just buy that. And these are not solutions that are open to all people. Mm -hmm. And it's not just the, oh, buy a reusable water bottle. Well, where are they going to fill it up? Do they have access to clean drinking water? Can they fill it up? And, you know, or is there another issue that they're worried about with their drinking water? Do they have lead in their water? And that's a whole nother, you know, issue that they have to think about. So I think it's important to talk about a breadth of options so that people can look for, you know, that one thing that kind of suits their abilities and their lifestyle, um, you know, to see that small way that, that you can contribute. 
and I know I'm, I'm only scratching the surface here too of things that you can do. Um, there are a lot of different ways to, um, you know, to avoid this, these plastics. You know, one thing I didn't mention is plastic bags, you know, just simply refusing a plastic bag and throwing it in a backpack or just carrying an item, you know, plastic bags are a huge problem. So that's another way, you know, in, in, I require you require you to purchase anything. They, yeah. If you just get like one thing, a lot of stores will ask you now, hey, do you need a bag for that? Yeah. Yeah. Uh, yeah right. Like I'm going to my car, I can just carry it to the car. Yeah. Right. Yeah. Where before they would just automatically always put it in it. Yeah. So I'm seeing more stores. I don't know if they're doing it just to save themselves money or to save maybe. Them and if that's, money. and I think that's okay. It's, you know, win mm win -hmm. for everyone. Right. You know, mm -hmm. if it saves you money, you know, you know, switching to paper bags is very expensive. And, and there's been some studies that, have shown that it's not necessarily as environmentally friendly um, as we might think too, because it takes a lot of water and energy to produce paper bags. Um, okay. So, you know, simply not giving people unnecessary bags is a much more cost-effective solution for everybody. And I know my wife has a whole bag of bags in <laughs> yeah. her vehicle that yep. she takes it. Now, now I will say during recent times, there's some stores that wouldn't allow us to use reusable, yes. reusable bags. Yeah due to the COVID. Yeah, COVID. COVID has really done a number on um, the strides that were being made to reduce plastic consumption. We went full circle right back into, you know, I mean, think about no one could eat in a restaurant, so everybody was getting takeout. Yeah. We're, you know, if the few people who do bring their own reusable containers for leftovers and things like that weren't allowed to anymore. Yeah. I mean, I think about the waste that my family and I generated over the past two years just from from takeout alone, and it makes me cringe. Um, but I, we didn't have a lot of options, right? It was the middle of a pandemic, and certain yeah. things, you know, there were bag bans and styrofoam bans and things like that that were set to go into action, you know, in 2020. And governors and legislators said, let's put those on hold because now people are going to need these single-use disposable things for safety, right? And that's totally understandable. But now we kind of got to claw our way back to where we were. I think. Right. Yeah. So what other, um, it, with the, like the plastics, it, well, I guess we started with pharma, pharmaceuticals, then into plastics. What other, and I love that we're getting some action items. So some things I can still think about and do. I might not be able to save the entire world, but I might be able to save one little thing. Yeah. And, uh, and that's always been my thing with, with students, on the students and adults, that uh, it's, don't try to save the world. Don't try to change the entire world. Just change one thing in, yeah. your, in your life. Yeah, I think that's a great that, advice. The world will change. Yeah, because it's too daunting otherwise, right? You can't think about all the wrongs. You just have to focus on the little things that you can do. Um, and cumulatively, those things do make a huge difference. You might feel like you're doing something small, but you know, if 100 people are doing that same small thing, that's a big impact, yep. right? So you, you have to kind of not get bogged down in the scope of the problems and, and focus on you know, the fact that if you're making this small, positive change other people probably are too yeah yeah and, and, and that's and that's what i like everybody making their own small change and think about things yeah. whether it is like i said if you're replacing something like you said think of natural products over the th synthetic products if you're just as simple as i mean it's uh, i know that sarah and i bring our own containers to drink out of and mm -hmm. we have a water filter in our lab that we so we filter our water in the lab and stuff mm -hmm. so that we can do that and uh, so it's there's a lot of little things that a lot of us can do 
Yeah. But I love that you point out, you know, not everyone could do all these things. Yeah. I think that's important to remember. Do within your means of what you can do. Yeah. And, so and I, even if you can't do any of these things, talking about them with other people, right? Like spreading the knowledge is also a thing. You don't have to spend money or, you know, um, inconvenience yourself if that's, you know, a problem. Even just being aware of these things and mindful and, and talking about them with someone, I mean, that also does good. Yes. And then so, yeah, exactly that. Sometimes you, you might just tell the person that needs to hear it at the right time that yeah. that, that weren't even sure that was even an option. So just yeah. so absolutely I love that yeah, spreading that message just because that might be the only time that person hears that. And so right. yeah. Yeah, we have to take whatever opportunity we can for outreach, right? Because yeah. it's you know it's difficult. Outreach is difficult. You don't can't always meet people where they're at. So you just kind of have to take the opportunities as they come. And we all need reminded. So it sure doesn't hurt to tell each other and remind each no. other. No. And, and I mean, there's always something, right? Like I know I could do better. No one's perfect. Oh, yeah. No one's doing all these things. Yeah. So with pollution prevention, what other uh, prevention things can people do for, a, for different aspects of pollution? What behavior changes or something like that, I guess you might I think the one of the biggest things that I like, like sort of a, a general message that I like to leave people with too, is that every time you buy something, you kind of are voting with your wallet. I know that's a kind of a popular phrase, but it's totally accurate. The products that you're buying, um, you know, where you're putting your money is um, kind of reinforcing. So if you're if you're buying things that are contributing to the problem, rather than um, things that are could be helping the problem, mm -hmm. that choice is saying something, right? Mm -hmm. Whatever that choice may be. And so I think being mindful um, is important that, you know, the choices that you make say more than just that exact thing, right? You're reinforcing sort of, um, you know, buying something in a glass jar versus buying something in a plastic jar, right? Like if I have the choice, I'll buy something in a glass jar because maybe that puts pressure on the other company to switch from plastic to glass, which is much more recyclable, reusable, um, you know, things like that. So I think that's a, an important way to, to think about it, that every dollar you spend is a vote, essentially. Yes. Yeah. I think it's a I great like way to think about it. Mm -hmm. and not only the dollar you spend, sometimes it's the dollar you can't spend that you remind people of. Yeah. You know, it, don't be afraid to ask. I mean, go to a store manager and there's no options. They're environmentally friendly at all. Say, well, I'm actually looking for, you know, a, a glass containers to, for right. my reheat or for the storage. And do you have those? And if enough people ask, they're going to be like, yes. wow, there's the, the market is there. I'm, I'm missing right. mark. I'm missing an opportunity. Right. Right. If you don't let people know that you're interested in these things, then they don't know that there's a market for them. Absolutely. Yeah. And it's, it's in options. Like, I don't know how many times for years it's it, it for me. I didn't want a bag because I don't want to, I get tired of the bags sitting around at home. I mean, we have an entire cabinet. Thing. Bags of bags, right? Right now. I just didn't want They make plastic containers to hold the plastic bags. Exactly. Yeah. And so, I mean, I just, yeah, for years I didn't do it. I wasn't, you know, I, admittedly, I wasn't refusing the bag to save the world. I was refusing the bag to save my clutter. Mm -hmm. And so, but <laughs> I keep doing that now, regardless, because it's like, no, that's one less thing that I, we don't need that. Yeah. And uh, it, as simple as uh, I see people when they go in the stores, it's like, oh, we need, uh, we actually, we, um, 
we all ate out at not too long ago and uh, somebody went up to get a, a fork and did they take one no they took like four only one person in our group needed a fork so when we were done there were three plastic forks that had to be thrown away yeah because somebody grabbed them so not grabbing those extra things i think would help eliminate a lot i don't know yeah. how many restaurants i've seen where it says just take the napkins you need because you always walk around and you see piles of napkins for years and stuff that people would do i think yep. we're being more conscious about these things as a society but we all need reminded yeah, and I think that's where the straw thing really comes in too. I think that's, you know, it's always been sort of force of habit that, you know, you go out to eat and, and this, the wait staff just gives every single person a straw. Mm -hmm. Well, if you just change that to, do you need a straw? Would you like a straw? You know, some of those people are going to say no, and then we've saved those straws. Because even if you don't use it, if they put it on the table, it's getting thrown away. Yes. It's just as if you used it, right? Just like those forks, right. you know, they're sitting on the table. They can't be reused. They have to get thrown away or like that pile of napkins you leave that, oh, someone will use this. The person who comes to the table, they don't. I don't want to use napkins that someone left there. I don't know what they did to those napkins. I'm getting my yeah. own. Yes, we did. We used to leave. <laughs> yeah, I think everybody. I grab a snack. The kids needed two. Yeah. You know, it's like, then oh, well, someone will leave these. But in reality, I wouldn't. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. And, you know, you mentioned kids. I think that's important to, to keep in mind too, is that, I, think children. Really, you know, <laughs> I mean, <laughs> we, we reduce, reuse, recycle. <laughs> um, I think that um, when you have kids too, uh, you know, life gets a lot harder and you have to kind of, you know, I just had a, a baby um, a little less than two years ago, right, right at the start of the pandemic. And we kind of um, changed our, our way of thinking a little bit because you're tired. Um, you know, things are harder. And so you have to kind of forgive yourself that like there's high points and low points and there's good times and bad times. And so sometimes you just take the extra forks because you don't want to count and you just want to grab some and get the heck out of there. Yep. Right. Or we fine, I'll take the straws. I'm, I'm having a, my baby's having a meltdown. Fine. Just put it down. You know, you, so you, you just, you just try to do better, you know. But when I do that, I take them with me. It's like I have in the glove car, when I have all of our cars, I have napkins that I don't know how many times it saved us. It's, yeah. If, even if it's just oh there's a couple of extra that we put on the table i generally put them in my pocket to, to take them with me so they're not thrown away so we can still use them and so i don't have to buy a roll of paper towels sometimes right i saw a joke recently that that's a midwestern thing which i find it hard to believe everybody has to have napkins in their glove box it's just it's just good business just yeah it's just smart i love that you're mentioning this too that um you just kind of take as you can and i think that even gets yeah. So when you have the, you know, if you're not able to do this, you still have, you can still maybe, maybe encourage someone else to try it or still have those discussions. But then also, like you're saying, the highs and the lows being able yeah. uh, and, and, and to make those decisions or forgiving yourself when that's not reality. Yeah. But I know also, um, as you mentioned kids, and I know with my own kids, I, I uh, had heard about this. I stopped drinking with a straw. I just, as, as many times as I could make that choice. And I remember when I first started doing that, my kids were just thought I was nuts. Like mom, what on earth? And now um, two of my kids have started kind of falling like, yeah, we don't need the straw. We can just, so I That's think. That's great. You're modeling kind of, that behavior for them. Yeah, That's so wonderful. I think, yeah, showing them that because yeah. it's never seen it. And I think for me too, as an adult, I've never seen that behavior modeled, but if I, if I make this change and can show anyone else that, you know, it's a possibility, you don't have to yeah. every time, but it's, it's a choice you could make. Yeah, absolutely. And, and, you know, when your kids are little, 
uh, do you want them to use a straw? Absolutely, because it's either that or they end up pouring it all over themselves, right? So you take the straw when they're little, you know, like things like that, I think. Um, one of the things that I think, you know, kind of working in pollution prevention and talking with people about all this stuff, one of the things I always want to make sure that I tell people is that um, I, like, there's no hard line to take about any of this stuff, right? Like, um, I don't want to be seen as a person who is telling everyone all these horrible things that they're doing and all these changes that they have to make and all this money that they have to spend. And that's, I wouldn't want that. I wouldn't want someone coming to me and saying those things to me either. So I think that, you know, kind of couching it in what's possible and what's um, feasible and what's realistic and, and what you want to do um, is important, right? With, with understanding yeah. that like anything you can do is positive. And so the more positive things you do, of course, the more good you're doing, um, but we'll take whatever we can get, you know? That's a big thing with any environmental topic. It's, yeah. it's a doomsday thing. Yeah. So it, when you start talking about pollution impact to the ecosystem and, and how each level impacts the next and how detrimental it can be to all life on earth, basically, it's really easy to kind of get in that doomsday rut and feel like yeah. I can't do anything. Oh, well, we're going to die. Probably get hit by an asteroid anyway. And just yeah. give it yeah, absolutely. I, I've worked for Sea Grant for about 10 years and I started out working in invasive species and I used to start my talks saying like, this is going to be super depressing. Sorry. Um, but, you know, that's kind of what it is. But I would try to end it on a here's what you can do. Right. And then I moved into talking about, you know, um, more chemical pollution and things like that. Um, and, you know, same thing. This is going to be really depressing, but we're going to end up, you know, hopefully giving you feeling a little bit more, leaving you feeling a little bit more empowered. Um, about what you can do about it. So it is kind of doomsday and depressing, but then we kind of, you know, pull them back in and say, but, 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 you know, here's those little things that you can do. It's, uh, yeah. I, and I think the big thing is people just, yeah, I just say someone's listening, don't take the world on your shoulders. No, yeah, absolutely. But just think of the small changes you can make to make the world a better place. Yeah. That's the simplest I can Yeah. Do. Yeah, I think that's, that's perfect. Thank you for listening to this episode of Science from the Experts from Purdue University Superheroes of Science. If you like this episode, subscribe, give us a positive view, and share the love. Boiler up! Hammer down!